Hi, I'm Glenn Harper, CPA and owner of Harper & Company, CPAs Plus, and partner in Sula Consulting. In each episode, my co-host, Julie Smith, Harper & Company's practice manager and partner in Sula Consulting, and I will interview a different guest about their entrepreneurial journey. The podcast features interviews with business owners, aka entrepreneurs, who bring intriguing and entertaining clarity to the entire entrepreneurial journey, giving others confidence to build their business. Our goal is to provide actionable value to you, the entrepreneur, to help you do business or build a business. Every entrepreneur deserves to enjoy the journey. Learning from others offers valuable insight and inspiration. We want to provide insight on the why, the how, the shortcuts, and the value add that many entrepreneurs wish they would have had identified at the onset of their journey. Sit back and enjoy the journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Empowering Entrepreneurs. I'm Glenn Harper. Julie Smith. What's going on, Julie? Hey, you know, we have Starbucks. It's a it's a good day. It is a good day. It was I hate getting out and getting it in the rain, but sometimes that's what you gotta do. Sometimes you have to do that because you don't have hair. Oh yeah, that's true. I don't have to <laughs> worry about my beauty here. Well, we've got a real treat for you today. We've got uh, Phil Yeager, a fellow up and entrepreneur and the driving force between behind Yeager CPA Review. He has helped many a CPA wannabes become part of the CPA club. Thanks, Phil, for being on our show. Glenn, it's a pleasure. And uh, had I known we had so much time before we started, I could have gone over and gotten five Starbucks. <laughs> well, you don't want to get too crazy. The caffeine makes us accountants jittery. We got to be careful. Yes, it does. It does. Well, I de- Phil, I detect a slight uh, Kentucky accent. Did you grow up in the South? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Southern Long Island of New York. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty close. Uh, Right outside of New York City area. Outstanding. I did a little bit of... Right, it was called the South, excuse me, it's called the South Shore of Long Island. Got it. I had Julie do some stalking on you, and apparently your college uh, journey includes a BS in accounting from the University of Rhode Island, an MBA from Farley Dickinson University, and then, but wait, there's more, a doctorate in philosophy from Walden University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Did you just want to stay in school or what? How did this happen? Well, I I actually had an idol in life, uh, Doogie Hauser. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. his name, okay? Doogie was my idol, and I would have gotten out sooner, but, uh, you know, I started fooling around. I joined a fraternity, had a good time. So that's why I graduated at the age of 12. That explains a lot. That that makes sense because some people just, they don't want to leave the, the, the cushy life of college college life. I would have thought that you probably would have want to stay in Minneapolis and see the Aurora Borealis every night versus in Maryland and uh, sitting there watching the lights of the D.C. swamp. How did you, how did you want to not stay there? Well, let me just, uh, with the Walden degree, all right, uh, Walden, uh, actually, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of people have non-traditional education. Now, back when I got into Walden, Walden had just been accredited by the North Central accreditation, which was one of the regional accreditations. And, uh, you know, I I went there because one, all right, in order for me to go on for a doctorate, I was teaching at Catholic University at the time, but in order to get, you know, to stay there and get tenure promotion, I had to get a doctorate. But every other doctorate in the Washington DC area required that I go full time, all right? And I couldn't do that. I had a wife and I had a child. So then they came up with this non-traditional and Walden was one of them. Now they called it at the time, a uh, building or an institution without walls, all right? But 
Interestingly enough, George Washington University started a doctoral program about a year later, and they actually used the Walden model. Uh. So GW used to insult Walden that they're not a real university, but then they started this model because people, you know, could not just take off and go full time. All right. And I'll tell you, it was not easy. Walden was a research institution because it was a PhD. And I was the first PhD in accounting there because they really did not have an accounting PhD. But the way it worked is this. I had a PhD in administration management, but if I wrote my dissertation on something in accounting, all right, then I got a PhD in accounting. And I wrote my doctorate on the negative image of the accountant. Fantastic. And I went around, yeah, I went around to different universities, had them fill out questionnaires, and they all thought that, you know, uh, accountants were dull, boring people. And I said, well, what did you base that on? And they said, well, every time I turn on the TV, all right, the accountant is wearing that eye shade thing, all right, the dullest looking guy. And I actually did a lot of research, and this is what I found out. Did you ever watch those Death Wish movies with Charles Bronson? Oh, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. He's too young for that. But Charles Bronson, Bronson, uh, when they picked him for that role, and there was five Death Wish movies, and without going into detail what they were about, uh, actually the original book that they were based on, the character was an accountant. And when they brought the movie and they actually filmed it from the screenplay, they made him an architect because they figured that was a little more exciting to be an architect than an accountant. Well, that move, the accountant so, with Ben Affleck's fantastic. I was cast for that role, but I was a little too short. I was, it was a great, great movie. Well, you really, yeah. you know, there's a big similarity. I see that similarity, all right? <laughs> yes. You could have been married to what's your name? Uh, Lopez. Yeah, yeah, Jen Lopez. Who, who doesn't want that kind yeah. of uh, scrutiny on everything? That's the best. <laughs> so, you know, the, the funny thing, you know, when we talk about you know, accountants, you know, obviously, you know, I play one on TV and and you play one on TV, but you know, there is a lot of stereotypes of what they do and how they do it. And and you kind of made the transition of being an accountant of actually running numbers and doing those types of things to say, you know what, I'm going to teach people how to become CPAs. When did that start? Well, I graduated, this will give away my age, but I graduated Uh, University of Rhode Island in 67. And uh, I really did not want to be an accountant, honestly. All right. But my mother, see, when we lived in Long Island, there were three professional groups. All right. There were doctors, lawyers, and then the third was the accountant. And uh, I don't know if you remember the comedian Jackie Mason. Do you remember Jackie Mason? Right. And he used to say, you know, he's, you know, for those who don't know him, very funny. Unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. But uh, he said, well, you know, in the Jewish family, all right, all right, if you have a son who's really brilliant, he becomes a doctor, all right? If he's not as brilliant, he becomes a lawyer. And if he's totally stupid, he becomes an accountant, all right? Well, that's what I became, an accountant. And I said to my parents, I said, I can't stand this major. It's boring as can be. All right. I want to change. And they said, well, if you go out of accounting, we're not going to pay for your tuition. 
So I graduated with a degree in accounting <laughs> and I started working. My first job was with General Electric Company, all right? But it was a financial management training program. But the bottom line is it was still accounting, all right? Then I went to work for Columbia Pictures, the Screen Gems mm -hmm. division, which was their TV division. And I thought, wow, I like the entertainment field. You know, hey, I'll see a lot of entertainers. Now, I did see entertainers in the elevator, right? Because at that time, the TV show Bewitched was on the air, all right? I Dream of Jeannie, all right? And I used to see uh, Elizabeth Montgomery in the elevator occasionally when she would come and negotiate her contracts. And, uh, and I forgot, uh, Barbara Eden was uh, I Dream of Jeannie. So I, I saw her a few times, very exciting. You open the elevator and boom, they're, they're staring right at you, all right? And also Otto Preminger. Do you ever hear of Otto Preminger? Does ring a bell. Otto Preminger was a very famous director, but he also played in movies. But Otto Preminger was completely no hair, bald, and he did. you'd see him occasionally, but the nastiest guy in the world. He had space in the building, all right? And I would walk in and say, oh, hello, Mr. Preminger. And, you know, rrr, rrr. He would grunt. But I really liked being around the entertainment field. But no matter how much I tried to get a job in, enter in the, I wasn't going to be a comedian because I can't tell jokes, all right? But someone said to me, you know, you'd be good on a talk show, on the radio, something like that. And I tried and very hard to get out of accounting. Once you are, once you have a brand on you that says accountant, it's CPA, it's like being a cow and you can't get out of being killed. So that's how I got into it. But eventually I went into public accounting because you had to get experience requirement, all right, to get the CPA. So then after five years of commuting from New Jersey to New York every day, an hour and a half one way, I said, what am I going to do? So I took a I took a class teaching accounting at it's fairly Dickinson University in New Jersey. All right. I said, you know, this is fun. I like standing in front of people. And the students used to laugh at my jokes and say, you know, you make accounting fun. So that's how I got into teaching. And I decided I'll go to Maryland. I found a community college. I worked at full time and I really enjoyed standing in front of people because in college, I took three public speaking courses, all right? And I used to like giving talks. And I remember one speech I gave in a public speaking course was, all right, how people die from the disease called alkatosis, okay? All right, and you know, of course, these were phony diseases. So what I did was to catch the attention of the students is I walked in with a glass, I dropped in three Al Al what do you call it, Alka-Seltzer's. And I said, Kaplunk goes the tablet, right? And then I said, wrong. And then I talked about how you can die from alkatosis. But those would be the speeches I would make up. And, you know, people said, boy, that's really funny. All right. I don't want to tell them they were phony speeches. All right. But that's what really what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something where I can talk. All right. Unfortunately, I never got into anything in entertainment that I really wanted to get into. But if things were, I can just share this with you. We lived in Denver, Colorado from 1982 to 1988, all right? And I had an accounting practice. 
God, the last place I wanted to be. I started an accounting practice. It became very successful. And I said, I hate doing this. <laughs> so my wife was nice enough to send out cassette tapes of me to the radio stations so they could call me up and be an expert. So I got on a few of the radio stations, one of which there was a gentleman by the name of Alan Berg. You ever heard of him? No, I don't believe so. Probably not. Alan Berg was a jock, uh, a radio, but controversial. He used to knock the white Aryan nations group. Well, eventually they killed him and they shot him. All right. And he died in his driveway. So he was going to have me on a show at least once a year, but that fell through. So it's like I was cursed. I couldn't get on. All right. So anyway, did I want to be an accountant? No, but you know, it led me to other things. That's the advantage of the CPA. You know, I then bought a CPA review school. It became very successful. All right. And let's just put it this way. It put my daughter through college. My two grandchildren are now in college. All right. And thank God I was able to pay for this. All right. So I have to say, you know, if you don't think accounting is your area, get the CPA because it gave me the flexibility to do things I never thought I would do in a million years. Well, I think that's the takeaway is if you're going to start down a path, don't don't stop short. Take it to the top. I mean, if you're going to be an accountant, you might as well be a CPA because you're in the club now and you have that instant credit you know, credibility, right? And after that, the doors will open. So it doesn't take that. I mean, CPA test is, you know, it's hard. It's, it's not easy. But, you know, back in the day when I took it, you had to handwrite everything. But uh, now it's pretty much electronic. But it's, but again, if you want to get in the club, you got to get in the club. And that's how you do it. Um, but if, amazingly, like you said, you, you practiced a lot as a CPA doing those types of things. And then you decided you want to be an entrepreneur and buy a um, you kind of were just more doing business with your practice in Denver, but then you decide you want to be an entrepreneur and actually build a business, which is your CPA review course. What made you make that decision? You just got tired of being an accountant and you're like, I need to own a business or what did you do? What made that transition well, for you? I don't know if you remember the journal of accountancy used to have ads in the back mm -hmm. and there was a blind ad that said, are you interested in opening a CPA review franchise? So I wrote back and the franchise was Lambers CPA Review School, all right? I was the first Lambers franchise and I was his only successful franchise because he learned that even though he had excellent books, all right, you needed someone to teach who would stand up there and keep the attention of the students. And of the five franchises he tried to set up, I was the only one who succeeded. All right. How about that? So that's how I got into it. And then eventually, I, uh, Mr. Lambert's passed away, Vince passed away, and his books were not kept up. So I, I ended up starting with my own name, Jaeger CPA Review. I changed it, and it became very successful. I was, I was beating it. You see, back then, it was you took all four. Did you take all four parts yes, or sir. one part at a time? All four parts. All right. So when it was all four parts, we ran four and five month classes, okay? Mm -hmm. And we went over all four. We knew exactly when people were going to take the exam, either May or November. So we were able to have three locations in the Washington DC area. And I didn't worry about the other competitors like Becker, 
they did not have a chance. We were the largest ones. But when the exam went one part at a time, we could no longer do all four parts. And then we had to convert over to the way it is now, streaming video, that type of thing, all right? But I just loved doing that live class because as I said, I did three live classes. I had 150 students in each live class, all right? And the people used to, you know, we were such a close class. I was invited to the people's weddings, all right? They invited me to their children's, uh, you know, births. I got very close with the students. That's something I don't get today, and I miss that. I suspect that's probably one of the, the big things as an entrepreneur out there is it's not about the what you sell or your product or service. It's about the relationship, right? And if you have a great relationship, not only you're going to have long-lasting interactions, but you're probably going to refer you out to everybody as well, and you'll become a, a standard name. And I think that's probably what you did, oh, right? Oh, they yeah. were – I didn't have to do marketing. The students were my marketing arm. They used to go out and tell everyone about Phil Yeager. And the one thing I have to tell you, at the end of every cycle, every class, 150 people, I would say that maybe 80 or 90% of those people in the last class stood up and gave me a standing ovation, all right? Well, that's something you don't get at a job, you know, all right? and. It really, I never took it for granted, but it always choked me up that I got that standing ovation. And I got that for like 30 years, 30 years of that. Well, that's the thing, you know, if if you know your customer and know what they're doing, like these this candidates in your class, they're literally putting everything, their entire heart and soul and livelihood, they, they got to pass this test and you're helping them do that, I mean, that that's going to be a bond forever. And that's like in any thing that you do as an entrepreneur, just you got to know your customer. What do they really, really want, and how do you help them achieve it? And they'll be customers forever. And uh, what I'm doing now is, you know, the review school is not, you know, the main source of what I the income. Thank God I made it. But, all right, I've been able to give back. My wife got Parkinson's eight years ago, all right? So I started making, you know, there's this company called Charity Buzz. And what you do is you bid on auctions and you can meet certain people if you're the highest bid, bidder, all right? Well, as a result of that, over the past five years, I've had the pleasure of meeting people such as I was on the morning Joe set. I don't know if you can see that, mm -hmm. all right? I met Joe Scarborough, I met his wife, and I've become very good friends with a guy by the name of Willie Geist, who's on that show, all right? And, uh, and also, uh, I've gone to the Shark Tank twice already and met the people there, because I bid money and I gave to their charities. And uh, we're going again this summer. Uh, this is the third time. All right, we were supposed to go last year, but the pandemic, they closed the set down. But I got to meet all those people, you know, Mr. Wonderful, all right? Robert Hershevik is probably the nicest guy, all right? Do you know who he is? Oh yeah, I even know, know show well. He is, he is exactly the way you see him. He's a, he's a real nice guy. And uh, Mark Cuban, all right, which I'm sure he's not listening to this, but Mark, How do you know that? He no, probably Mark is. is. Mark's a nice guy. Mark's a, Mark's a little, uh, he's, a, he's quite impressed with himself, all right? 
And he, I, I said hello to him and he said, oh, hello, you know, that type of thing. But uh, Barbara Corcoran, I've met her three times and she's a nice person. It's, uh, I, I've met a lot of entertainers, you know, and uh, it's, these are some, this is something I would not have met had I not gotten involved with this charity buzz. Well, at the same time, you I know. think it's it goes to the premise that, uh, you know, you got to expand your sphere of influence uh, when you're an entrepreneur. You just can't stay with the same old, same old. You got to shoot really high to try to get the influencers and the people that have money and the people that can, you can help them, they can help you. Just don't keep, stu- you got to steep, steep try- keep trying. You just can't ever just sit there and w- just wait for something to happen. Well, <laughs> I, I have not actually, these people have not been, yeah, they're in, they haven't done anything as far as getting clients. The only person who really helped me was Barbara Corcoran on three occasions. Uh, I had a Zoom call with her. And uh, the question was, how do you do marketing? I was having trouble with the marketing of the school. And her contract says she's not allowed to do consulting, all right, for anybody other than the people she invests in on Shark Tank. But I had three Zoom calls with her and she gave me ideas for marketing. Unfortunately, all right, she's a sweetheart. Uh, but, you know, they I, I've used them to some extent, but they really have not helped me. This the problem with this uh, present field is this. All right. We're doing technology here. OK, I you know and, you know, you have Julie. And I'm sure you know more about technology than I know. Well, I don't know anything about technology, and I'm having a hell of a time. Is that a bad word to say, hell nope, of a time? No, that's perfectly good. Right. I've had, I'm having a hell of a time getting people who are uh, can help me with social marketing. All right? They come and go. They say they're good at it, but they're not. You're very fortunate to have Julie there. God, I wish I could pick up two or three Julies, all right, to uh, do the marketing. Well, I right? think, and I mean that, Julie. I think what you're yeah. saying no. is one of the things that we really believe in on, you know, as empowering entrepreneurs is that you've got to build a team around yourself and the people that the thing, the, the weaknesses you have, you got to go find those strengths. You can't do it all. And and even if you tried, very, you're not going to be there. Very, very, it's so difficult. I, and there are days that go by and I talk to people and they say, oh, we can do this. We can do that. And then. No, they can't. There's, uh, I don't think people want to work as hard as they used to, and they don't want to go to school and learn because that requires an effort. You know. Well, I think right? that. I think. And that I'll tell you how much. How much? How much would you? Can I buy Julie from you for uh, for say a week of marketing expertise? Have I won an award or something? I, I feel like <laughs> you'd have to be some kind of contract going on there. I don't want to be involved in that. So good luck with that. But. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the, well, the premise. Glenn, is, I didn't have that in mind, but uh, you know, anyway. Yeah, yeah. There's the 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 value is you got to keep you you got to have the clear defined vision. You know, Julie and I talk about this all the time, especially with with clients and entrepreneurs. That you know, it's not you have to decide what it is you want to do and how you want to do it and who you're bringing with and who you're bringing with. Now you got to identify those strategic partners and make sure they buy into what your vision is and. 
You might have to go through one, 100, 500, doesn't matter. You got to keep trying to find the one that fits because if not, you're never going to go anywhere, right? That's that's number one rule as an entrepreneur out there. You've got to find people that believe in you and will buy into your vision. Right, Julie? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. If this is too personal a question, I'm just curious. How did you find someone like Julie? You know, honestly, can I ask you that? Sure. You have to go outside, uh, went outside the industry. Um, You can't hire an accountant to not to do something that's not in their wheelhouse. And so uh, I was fortunate to have a, a colleague that uh, introduced us to, me to Julie and she's like, Oh, I have this other skill set," And I'm like, wow, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, Actually he tried to run the other way, but I didn't let him. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, she tricked me, but no, it's, it's about, again, I knew what I needed. Every successful client that I had uh, that was doing very well in their business. They always had like a COO or practice manager of some sort that was able to bridge the gap between the owner and what they're trying to do and the technology and the staff and trying to bridge the gap so they could communicate and, and put in systems and processes and a culture that would warrant to make your, my vision become the reality. And, and that's really what you have to do. So when, when I recognized that, cause I could see it, and I was out shopping, for, and it took a long time to find find the Julie. But you know, we've got her, and she's awesome. But that's you know, every business owner needs to figure out what that is, if that role can exist, and when it needs to happen. Again, when you get to a certain size, you you kind of have to have one. But when you're small, you can do a few of those things yourself. But you just outsource a lot of those things. You know, we've got marketing people, we got our podcast people, we've got attorneys, we've got financial advisors, we've got a whole team around us that help us do what we need to do. I I can't do it all. So as an entrepreneur, that's that's the key, just recognizing where you need help at and then go acquire that talent. And well, I think you I have to say, I, think you know, have I, had, to... I had you on, I'm sorry, what were you going to say, Julie? I'm sorry. Nope, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I you know, uh, I don't know how many people watching this know this, Billions. but I had the pleasure of having uh, the two of you on as a guest on my podcast and I'm going to tell you, I, I got off and I, I said to my wife, seriously, I said, you know, those are two impressive people. All right. And God, I mean, if I needed your services, you would be the first one I would think of. You know, if I needed services such. So anybody who's watching this. All right. Hey, get get Glenn's name. Get Julie's name They're They're really first. I would say first class people on what they do. And uh no, really, you, you sort of, and I mean this, I don't, because I don't really just say this for the hell of it, all right? You guys are sort of my idols. I mean, I mean, I wish I had one tenth of one percent of your knowledge of the what what you do. It's it's amazing. Uh, you're too kind. Yeah, we we don't know what we're doing. We're just you know going in the wind, going with the direction that the wind blows. But you know, I think it's really important as you go to grow a team and and build that that you personally have to define what that looks like. Because oftentimes what we have found is that, you know, we have different generations in the workforce, but as you define those expectations and can effectively communicate that to them and they can understand where they fall into that, they tend to step up to the plate in order to be able to perform at that level. I think what happens oftentimes is people, small business owners go ahead and hire a person and haven't necessarily been able to define the role. And that way you're kind of setting that person up for failure because they don't know what they're doing. It's constantly changing. And so they're kind of out there in the wind going with whatever direction comes in that day. And I think with proper expectations and communication and again, 
understanding your own vision and where you're going and what you're doing, people will fall into place because people want to follow a leader. And and so I, I think we've found that throughout you know our journey that that has really set us up for success and being able to do some of those things up front before getting that person into that position or role. Julie and I banged heads for a long time because we just couldn't communicate. I'm, I'm thinking this way, she's thinking that way. And finally, I had to go take some, what is it, a personality test or something? To finally, out- I was like, okay, I've tried to market what I want in four different ways and it's not coming through. How can I best communicate with you? And I was like, can you just take this test so I understand how you think? And literally, once he took the test and gave it to me, we really have been on par sense because I can understand how he communicates and I give him, you know, Hey, here's how I communicate and here's kind of how my thought process is behind that. And that's really helped us kind of not have those roadblocks and beating our heads against the wall in order to get to, to where we want to be. So I think that was also very, very important. And to you, Phil, like I said, you're, as you're sitting there talking, you know, interviewing strategic partners and this is any entrepreneur out there, you, you've got, they may have the product and skill that that's needed, but, if you don't know how to communicate with them because you're just not speaking the same language, again, Generation X, Millennials, you know, the elderly, the greatest generation, middle age, it doesn't matter. you got to know how to speak the language. And if you don't know how to communicate, I mean, that's a huge thing. I mean, and we've seen a lot of companies blow up because they just couldn't figure out how to talk. Before Julie, uh, I don't know your relationship. Are you partners or do you work? We're partners in quite a few things, yes. Um, how many Julies did you have to interview before you found the real Julie? 25 years worth. Well, I Julie, had a, you're only 21. <laughs> you have to be. That's not possible. It's true. I forgot. Yeah. No, it's, it's funny. Uh, you, when you're, I was in business with another partner and you know, you have to be aligned with your partner on all aspects of how the business is going to be run. Because if you're not, you think you need X, they think you need Y, and then you're trying to figure that out, right? You have to be aligned. So if you're a, a solo practitioner and you've got people, you can make that determination. And ultimately, you just got to keep hunting and looking. But the crucial mistake that most business owners make and most accountants make in accounting practice is that they'll take whatever they have in-house and try to make that person somebody they're not. And it's very rare that can happen, but you're supposed to define the role you want, the, the all the attributes of that person that you want in that role. Then you go find it. it it's not just throwing a body in there because that's just not going to work. You know, if, if I need an if I need an accountant, if I need a CPA, I, I can't go get somebody who's not an accountant because they have to know how to do accounting. If you need, if you're going to hire somebody a practice manager, you need somebody that has that skill set or an MBA. You got to find that type of person. But how do I find, you know, you're saying, you know, finding a CPA, you can usually say, oh, that person's a CPA. But how would one, and I'm taking advantage of your services now, how would one find a social marketer that I can trust and believe that that person can do what they claim they do? I, I, we got one. We use one. We'll give her your name. But I think you have to define exactly what you're looking for. So when you say a social marketer, that means something different than that means to Glenn. And so you have to really define exactly what you're looking for. Are you looking for someone just to post on social media three or four times and to create the brand and make sure the messaging's correct and making sure the story's correct? Or are you simply looking for someone to retell or repost whatever is coming from your mind? At what point are they empowered to do what they want? And so I think if you're able to kind of go through, literally write it down, 
and, and, and define that, some of that's going to help that communication to be able to look and see. For me, where I would go look for that if I was looking would be the younger generation. And again, they may not have to work 20 hours a week to get you what you want. Where do you find the younger generation? You know, uh, you can't pluck them off a tree. Where, where do you you find definitely them? can't. But I mean, I, I don't know exactly what you're looking for. But technology is is that I generation's exactly thing. I, yeah. So I would know, go to I, go to the colleges. Look for someone who wants to make some extra cash and, and do that. that. Go, go to that. Go to LinkedIn and here's what we're looking for. And you can troll around there and search for social media companies, interview them. There's so much So wait, Phil, today. if someone's listening to this and is like, ooh, I'd be I'd be interested in that, how would they get a hold of you? I will give you my phone number. Is that okay? Well, maybe don't put your phone number on air, well, but maybe let's do your email or your LinkedIn or something like that. All right, here, I'll give you my email, okay? Here it is. See, I'm from the old generation, the phone. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. All right. All right. It's, uh, it's Phil, P-H-I-L, dot Yeager, and that's Y-A-E-G-E-R. Let me repeat that. Y, Apple, Edward, Y-A-E, G is in George, E-R, Phil.Yeager at AOL.com. Love those AOLs. I didn't even know it still existed. We'll put that in the show notes as well. But I think, again, I'm Phil, I'm going to give you something for free. I'll send you something about how to define that role, how to define some of those things and make you write it down. And it's, you know, you go through that. And I think that'll help you communicate better um, to be able to, to get that person. And I'm going to guess, Phil, that you're probably in a situation you might not even know what you really need. Right. And. And if you don't really know what you need, uh, no, having gone, having gone through uh, a good seven or eight people, okay, uh, they tell you they can do it, but then they can't. Well, that's just uh, you, unlucky. You, you just probably made the the wrong choice, and you got to keep. Don't ever give up. Keep trying because there's there's going to be somebody or another firm out there that's going to match up with you. And all you entrepreneurs out there. If you have a bad experience, forget about that. Learn from it. Go grab the next person, the next company, redefine it, re-roll, do it, try to do the thing. And if you um, you got to keep trusting your strategic partners because if you go in there with reservations, they're going to sense it and they're not going to give you the best. So you have to keep trying and they may or may not take advantage of you, but you still got to try. You still got to keep trying and give it all you got. So one of our questions, Phil, is always, you know, as you try to scale and build a team, how have you been able to do that? Obviously, the social marketer has been a little bit difficult, but obviously you weren't the only one running your school, your CPA review school. How were you able to go find key people and run it and be able to empower them to do what they needed to do so that you could do what you needed to do? I had five people working for me. One was the chief operating officer, all right? And honestly, I was... uh, I was teaching and uh, I had spent a lot of time with that. But I have to tell you, they took advantage of me, especially financially. All right. So it got to the point where I had to put money into the business. All right. And it gets eaten up so quickly. So really, it came down to, unfortunately, it's me and my wife who's doing this business now. So it's like I trusted people. I was, uh, I hate to use the word naive. But I trusted people, and that was probably my biggest mistake. No, so. I, I think you got to trust people, and you got to keep trusting people because 
If you don't, now you're going to be a cynic and you're on the sideline. Nobody wants to work with that. So you got to keep trusting and give them every opportunity at the very beginning to take advantage of you. And then, you know, and if they take advantage of you, they're not the right fit, but I'd rather know right away than go down a path a long time. And then they take advantage of you, but you've got to trust people. Jordan Peterson says it best. You, you have to go and make yourself vulnerable to grow and that's it. Do you think, uh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I really do. Did you, would you, do you any, do any, uh, continue education for people who are already CPAs as well? Do you have a, a product and service for that as well? Uh, during the pandemic. Okay. Uh, what happened was, uh, someone wrote something in a magazine that said, right. This was the exact wording. Don't study for the CPA exam now during this pandemic. Prometric is never going to open, all right? So therefore, don't study for the exam. So I read that and really got, you know, I said, that is a bunch of, you know, that's not the truth. So for almost a year, I decided I gave three classes on Zoom, all right? Uh, and I, I would get 60 people, but, you know, Eventually, this other person who was working with me, I had to pay for him out of my own pocket. Yeah. So when I started charging $75 for two hours of teaching, right, all of a sudden, people didn't want to pay the $75. Right. For free, they came when, right. when you charge. I mean, and I never understood that. They weren't your customer, and that's okay. They obviously didn't understand the value associated with, you know, how you teach and how you set yourself apart from everybody else. Because just talking to you, I can tell that I have no love for numbers. I have no love for the credit debit side of the business. But I can tell you that I would listen to you. I wouldn't be bored out of my mind, right? You would keep my attention, which is huge when you're teaching, right? Because now you have me intrigued enough that you might get me to learn what a credit and debit is, which is way better than anyone else has ever done, right? I had to take many accounting classes in college and I loved all the professors, but man, all I did was do what I had to do to get that A to get out of that class. So I can tell you, you definitely have a skill set that sets you apart. So it's how do you create that value that your customer can better understand? And again, that's just one of those things where, you know, you got to try to figure out what your superpower is. What do you have? And again, you obviously had it for many, how many, 40 years you've been doing this review course. So you obviously are good at what you do. Um, but the technology, that's insanity. Um, you know, I always make fun of Julie cause she's you know, not a numbers person and, uh, she doesn't want to be. And, you know, I'm like, well, I just don't understand the, the numbers are the greatest part ever. And, and she just doesn't see that. But, you know, if you're in the accounting space, like you have to go with whatever class is going to put you in the best position to become a CPA and hopefully have to take it one time and then you're one and done and invest that time and effort in it because it's a hard test. And if you can, if your clients show that success, that'll speak for itself. And that's where it's at. Um, do you have any uh, regrets? When I say regrets, it's not like, oh man, that, that sucked. But it's more like, man, if you could today, where you are today, if you could go back in time and go, oh my God, if I'd have just known that then, would it change the whole trajectory of where you're at today? Is there anything that stands out that if you'd have just known something, one key, one nugget, one one tidbit way back when, what do you think that might have been? And something for the listeners that they can hear that story and they can it resonates with them that if they're going through it, they can have a pause for reflection. 
Well, I was on uh, a few radio sh radio shows in Denver where they had me come in as an expert. I always like the word expert. And uh, they would say, all right, this guy is going to talk to you about the new tax act or how to save you money in taxes. And they always brought me in, say, late March. And they would ask me to stay an extra hour. They liked me. So if I had to do anything and I tried to get jobs, but this was the problem in Denver. I was in Denver. They said I had too much of an Eastern accent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. Right? It is a, like, it is for example, this is coffee, coffee. All right. Now, I notice, and by the way, I noticed from your accent, you will say this the top of the house is rough. Is it not the roof? It's the roof. You yeah. say the roof, right? Roof. No, it's the roof. Roof. Yeah, that's 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 too far east, right? I'm Cleveland accent. Yeah. Yeah. Do you call uh, do you call the bag the sack? No. No bag. Bag. Because I could just share to you, I lived in Denver and I spent for six years. I go into a King Supers. I don't know if they have King Supers where you are, but I went to King Supers. And uh, they're packing up my groceries. And they said, first of all, uh, I want to know, how many sacks do you want me to put in your buggy? They call it a buggy, yeah, right? right? And I said, well, what the heck is a buggy? He says, oh, the thing you push, you know. So I said, and, uh, I said, and by the way, uh, you said to me, what you said to me? Uh, she didn't say the word roof. I forget the, uh, but I, I used, you know, oh, she said, we're almost over. She said, uh, one second. She said, how many sacks do you want me to put in your buggy? And that's when I realized six years was enough in Denver. Yeah, we're not from Kansas anymore. That's that's the whole thing. But I think you no, took that no, passion no, no. and you were able to pivot to do something that you truly love, right? So it, it sounds like you love to yeah, speak no. in front of an audience and you've kind of you kind of figured that out early on, and I think you were able to pivot, define that, and be able to to do something just slightly different, but to feed that passion. Yes, and what I'm trying to do is, I really sort of got away from the school for a couple of years. Okay, it was running, but now, and that's another thing. I let these people basically run the show, all right, and they did a real job ruining it and really exhausting the funds I had. So that's why I've gotten back into this full time, all right? And let's just say one thing. When you get older, like people say, how old are you? I say 78, they say, oh my gosh, you look pretty good. Of course, now I have a full-time cosmetic surgeon I carry with me every place I go. But you know, the thing is, I tell them, you've got to keep working at some capacity because I've seen people and get into the 60s, they retire, and within a year, they drop dead. Correct. So that's why also I do this. Well, remember, you know, as a general rule, if you're not tending your flock, you know, the wolves are going to take everything from you. So you, you, you can't be an absent owner. You can't be an absent entrepreneur. You have to, you know, have your KPIs measured. You still have to have influence. You still got to lead, and you got to make sure the right people are doing what they're supposed to do and have a good culture. I mean, that's, you got to do that. So, Phil, you you know, you accidentally said your age, and that's okay, but what's your end game? What do you want to do? You've obviously found many avenues that have fed your passion, but 
what where do you see yourself going in the next you know couple years five years what do you want to yeah, what else do you want to feed julie in all the years i've been working i all i've been doing is working all right i you know i was a workaholic and i think i'm still you know i have not you know i don't know i really can't it's hard for me to answer that but are you having fun i guess i think i'm gonna live forever but are, are you having fun working not now because uh, we're having trouble getting students because I don't have the right people working for right. me. It's so hard. So no, it's becoming more. It's uh, it, it's difficult. You know, I. You're at a pivot point because I need better people. Yeah, you're at a pivot point where you've got to decide what you're going to do. Either double down, do something different, or whatever. But again, most entrepreneurs they don't really call it work. It's, this is their passion. It's something they love to do and they want to do it. The money is either there or it's not there, but uh, generally if you do things for the right reason, work hard Glenn, at it. Let me ask you, can I ask you a quick question, sure. Glenn? Absolutely. All right. You enjoy what you're doing. Am I correct? I'm sorry. You, you really like what you're doing. Absolutely. How would you like doing what you're doing and saying, I love what I'm doing and I would even do it for no money, all right? But what happens? After a while, that I'll do it for no money, it gets a little trying, at least for me it does. Well, right. That's, again, you got to figure out the thing that you got to make a living, you got to make some money. But again, it's it's got to follow your passion. And, and sometimes that passion drives you to putting in time and you're going to do something philanthropic and, and do it for the greater good. Sometimes you're going to drive to exist and make a living and sometimes you have that drive or you want to go build an empire and that's up to you to figure that that out what that is it doesn't it doesn't matter which one it is we tell our entrepreneurs that you got to find your passion the empire is (laughs) but what i see phil is that you're at a point of opportunity i see it as a very positive thing you are looking at something and hey this is what i have i can go this way i can go this way it may be something that you don't even know exists yet but it's going to come forth from what's going on and the opportunity in front of yourself and again i have no idea what that is but i know someone like you definitely has opportunity in front of you and i know that you will jump on it when it when it speaks to you and that's what you're supposed to be doing and that's your passion it's going to feed you in some way so keep going I get that it's 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 a tough world, lonely world out there, we say, for the entrepreneurs. Oh but there's definitely something on the horizon, and I you can't quite grasp it yet, and I can see that. But there's definitely something coming, and it may be something completely different than you had in mind. But we always know it always works out, and it always works out for the best. Don't don't forget, Phil, that you at, at your age, and we'll call it, it doesn't matter really what your age is, you're what we call a seasoned veteran. You have so much knowledge. You have all the shortcuts. You have what we call wisdom. And when you reach a certain point in your career where you have all that wisdom, you know too much to retire because you still can create value for so many people. So now with that wisdom, you just got to go through your Rolodex in your head and try to figure out what can you do with all that wisdom that can bring value that people will be willing to pay you for or do it for free. I mean, if you reach the point in your life, you don't have to work anywhere. Great. Volunteer at the university, entrepreneur classes, whatever. Uh, teach for free. doesn't matter, but find that thing that you just know too much to just stop. I mean, if you were, again, just, you know, putting a widget on a widget, okay, I can't wait to stop doing that. But if you're out there and you've spent your entire career, you're a master at your trade, never give up. And you never love being up. with people. So keep, keep doing that. So that would be your advice. Well, I appreciate though. that. If 
by the way, Glenn, I'd like you to put this on record on this tape by saying, Phil, if you get to New Albany, I hope you'll give me a holler and get you know, give me a call. Absolutely, right up the street. Well, you know, for all of our listeners out here, I hope this shares a little bit of things that sometimes it's hard to get this out of a out of a one of our guests that there are some struggles. People always think, well, everybody's successful and they're living at the top of the world. You know, it's a struggle out there constantly. Well, we and always got to keep going. Something I think we always talk about on the show, and sometimes it's more relevant than others, is the peaks and valleys. And we always say the peaks are the easiest and the valleys are the hardest, but the valleys are where we learn so that we can get to a peak. And I think, you know, you've had a ton of peaks in your career, Phil, and you just happen to be in a valley, but you're going to learn something very valuable from this to get you to the next peak. And everybody only sees your peaks. They never see your struggles behind closed doors, what the anguish you have to go through, how you're going to pay the bills. You don't have this, you don't have that, can't find these people. But that's a, that internal struggle. You're very um, generous to share those struggles on our show today. But again, everybody has those. And what now that you know those things and you can identify them, what are you going to do to fix them? And that's what it comes down to as an entrepreneur. Don't never give well, up. Just change the direction. I, I, I appreciate I appreciate your advice and your kind words. And I must say it again. You're two of the nicest people I've met. So uh, well, thank you. I can meet people like you every week or every other day. All right. I'd be spoiled if it was every day. But, you know, uh, you're just two super people. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, I appreciate yes, you, Phil. Absolutely. And uh, again, uh, thanks for being part of the show. In the notes, we'll put all how to get to contact you if anybody needs to. Julie, it's always a pleasure doing a show with you. I hope all our listeners get some value out of this one. We'll sign it off. Take care. At Harper and Company CPA Plus, we just don't care about the numbers. We care about helping you tap into the greatness of your entrepreneurial journey. You deserve a partner who has helped hundreds of businesses go from paying the bills to building the business and lifestyle of their dreams. Go to our website and download our free guide entitled Entrepreneurial Success Formula, How to Avoid Managing Your Business from Your Bank Account. The link is in this episode's show notes.